Coming up on today's show, we talk how long are those Thanksgiving leftovers good in the fridge before you die of Ebola. Then we talk about millennials and have they lost their resourcefulness. Eric Ebron from the Colts joins us and talks about his team's hot streak and how he's leading the NFL in touchdown receptions. We're going to talk about Blake Bortles and his benching future with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Cody Kessler, how's he going to do with his new opportunity in Jacksonville? Lamar Jackson, what's his future like in Baltimore? And we give a scathing rebuke of the Washington Redskins signing of Reuben Foster. Big Ben calling people out. Is that the right thing to do? Has he earned it? And much, much more. All that on this exciting and action-packed edition of the Tomahawk Show. Hey, Joe. Uh, this is Garrett calling. Uh, we haven't spoken in a long, long time, mostly because we've never met. But my son, Finn, was born this weekend. And I want to tell Finn and his mom, Melissa, that they're amazing. Go Browns. Hi, this is Pat calling from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, shout out to Hawk. My mom's originally from Johnstown, PA. Um, I have a topic of debate for you guys. Do you think in a one-on-one open field tackling drill you could tackle LeBron James? Hey, what's up, Tomahawk? I just wanted to say that I think Andrew Hawkins has a great platform to run president in 2020. No more discriminating against short people. I'll vote for him any day. Go Browns. All right, these voicemails are getting a little ridiculous because right now I know there's a, like you have to be 40 to be the president. Well, I think you should have to be at least six feet tall because anybody other <laughs> under six feet tall cannot be a good leader. You cannot hold a room the way you need to. So I think short people creep me out and they should be completely eliminated from the ability to be the president. So Hawk, sorry, you can't be my president. Wow, Drew Brees is pissed. Uh, Chris Paul is pissed. Allen Iverson is pissed. Uh, Baker Mayfield arguably is pissed. So that's a bad take, and it's more body shaming, which I would expect out of you um, because you're a terrible person. Also, I like the LeBron James take. I think I could tackle him open field. That's just me. I don't think Joe can, but I think I could. I'm pretty sure I couldn't tackle him unless he tried to like lower his shoulder, and then in that case, I would just go low, and I feel like he would protect his knees and just flop to the ground which is the strategy that I would implore if I was ever picking up a fumble and had to run down the field because I definitely don't want anybody diving at my knees. Before I get into our open and our intro, how jealous are you of Joel Batonio's touchdown celebration from a weekend ago? Honestly, I, I was so afraid of like having the spotlight on me when I was playing, like for anything, even if it was good. Like I didn't want to be the guy getting a penalty, giving up a sack, scoring a touchdown, doing a celebration. I wanted no spotlight on me whatsoever. So I feel like I would have melted under that type of pressure. Oh man, Joel executed perfectly. That wasn't too bad. Well, hey, let's get into the show. But before we do, Beef Brewski, you the Vikings fan who's secretly Hulk Hogan. I know you're a big fan. I, don't worry. I will pick the Vikings lose every single week for the rest of time so that you think that's going to help you and your meager and mild and weak Minnesota Vikings. All right. And shout out to Baby Finn. Welcome to the world of Cleveland, Ohio, buddy. Where Welcome to the Tomaflock, Finn. Something about you makes me think you're going to turn the tide of the Browns organization and the Super Bowl is on the horizon. So, welcome. Welcome to the Tama Flock. That was a good one, Joe. All right, time to get serious. Welcome, everybody, to the Tomahawk Show. I want everyone to stop right now. Before we do anything, before we get into anything, and we will get into everything, stop what you're doing. Open up your podcast application. I don't care if you're on Android. I don't care if you're on iOS. Open the application. Hit subscribe right now. We're going to give you a little time here. Before anybody says anything, Joe is here. Nat is here. Firm is here in spirit. Go click rate five stars. We'll give you time. Go ahead. Go ahead. We're waiting. Click five stars. Rate the show. Now that you've done that, and I thank you for that, we're going to unlock the episode. So if you're listening to this part of the episode, that means you've already rated us five stars. And we appreciate that. So that means our five-star rating should jump from about the 6,000 it's at now to the 200,000 listeners we get every episode. Welcome to the Tomahawk Show, presented by Uninterrupted. I'm joined by the humblest of co-hosts, as always, Joseph Thomas, Wisconsin native, 30-time pro bowler, the most fit friend I have, and it's embarrassing. I hate being the fat one of the Tomahawk Show. And they body shame me for it. Joe, how you doing today? 
I'm doing good. We got a lot to talk about today. I'm not sure I can take the claim that I am the fit one because even though you have not exercised in coming on 16 months, I believe you could probably still beat me in any sort of fitness competition whatsoever, except for maybe a bench press competition or maybe a squat competition. You still can have me because your DNA is far superior to mine. No, that is not true. I would not last 10% of what I would when we actually were doing physical activities together on the football field, sickos. That I that I am now because I have not done anything in two years. It's going. I'm almost up to the two year anniversary of working out. Could you imagine training your whole life and then spending an entire two years not doing anything strenuous? I'm like a walking the last time you've documentary. Sweat? Trying to the only time I ever sweat is trying to make a flight, which is the only time I ever run. So how many times do you think you've sweat in the last six months from strenuous activity or just like the heat work? Does that do we count like the weather? Well, I mean, I know you live in LA, yeah, but like you probably avoid going outside when it's I hot. I do, and I'm an air conditioner. Being that like you're that. An- honest to God, truth, I've probably sweat since retiring from the NFL, in or even since my last football practice with the New England Patriots in June of 2017. I've sweat less than ten times. That's remarkable, and I'm I'm impressed at this point. It's a streak that you have to just keep going. So you know that's how, the thing. Now I'm proud of it. It's weird because now like I, I want to work out, but now I'm like, I wonder how long I can go without doing anything. I mean, there's consequence to pay. My dad bod is something to write home about. People tell me that the dad bod is in. I, I'm just I'm still not buying it, but I don't know if it's in. I, I, have, I have had people tell me they don't like super duper fit guys. They say it looks weird. Some people tell me that. And I'm like, well, you're in luck, buddy. <laughs> well, hey, have you seen me lately? Check well, hey, out. let's bring in uh, Natty Ice on the drums to get her opinion. Now, we yeah. don't have to talk about Mirhawk. We're uh, you know happy that nobody is judging us publicly right, right. now. But uh, amongst your girlfriends, are dad bods in? Or is that total BS that was made up by guys with dad bods? Um, there's nothing wrong with dad bods. Like Hawk said, if you're really, really fit, it's kind of weird. Like if you're sculpted, that's a no from us. Well, from me and my friends who I'm speaking on behalf of. <laughs> but From the Natalie friend committee. <laughs> yes, from my friend committee. But there's like there's levels to dad bods. A slight dad bod is, is not a bad thing. Like Tom Brady dad bod. Where, where do we rate this on the scale of one to ten for desirability? That's okay. I would rate that like a a five. Five on the dad bod. A five. So is, five is ten good or is ten bad? Well, hang on a second because in my book of rating, five matter. is like the, the most average of all time, and most people aren't attracted to a five. So what you're saying is five is not attractive, or you are attracted to the Tom Brady dad bod? I'm confused. Please, please differentiate here for me. <laughs> Well, I'm not attracted to the Tom Brady dad bod, but on the scale okay, of thank you. dad bod attractiveness, he's like a very average. What is so an attractive who, dad bod? Like, what is that? Like, what is? Well, right. Like, yo, that's like a. That's what I want to know. Nice dad bod. How do you break? Is it I, like certain parts are muscular and then certain parts are daddish? And it's like, do you have to be a dad or is dad bod its own thing? Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, is a good dad bod the rock because he's a dad? No. You know what I mean? No, it's not no, a dad no. bod He's just because you're a father. So is he too ripped, though? That's the question. Is Like Peter Griffin is a dad bod. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because he's a father. But we're not using the definition yes. of you actually have to have kids. What is an attractive dad bod? So we, we got to bring Natty Ice on drums so she can tell us who her most attractive dad bod is. Besides Andrew Hawkins, yeah, of course. She's pulling up all kind of dad bods right now on the Google. Like, Chris Pratt has a fine dad bod. Everyone at home, quickly pull out your phones and figure out what Chris Pratt's dad bod (laughs) looks like. But the question is, which Chris Pratt? Because he got ripped up, like, in the most recent film he was in, and now he's, like, maybe too ripped? Yeah, I don't know. Chris Pratt from, like, Parks and Rec. I was going to say, the Chris Pratt shirtless I'm looking at isn't a dad bod. This dude's got a six-pack. If you have a six-pack, it's not a dad bod. Am I right? I'm hearing you. I'm just looking at pictures of Chris Pratt <laughs> with his shirt off. <laughs> There's apparently one of him in his There's underwear There's one of him throwing football on the, the beach. Is this, the, the, is this I'm the not dad sure if, you're referring to? So, all right. Just putting that aside for one moment, do we prefer, generally speaking, you okay. and your friends, 
the Chris Pratt dad bod or like the young hunky 20 something bod or the rock who's like what 40 but he's still ripped up the rock well i don't like when you're super super ripped it's just weird like mm. it doesn't seem natural you mm. seems like you're trying too hard mm. so you won the gym already is what you're saying exactly. like you're still playing a game that you've already beat <laughs> quit you won why are you still going to the gym yeah so being fit would be good not overly fit but fit over dad bod but dad bods aren't that bad well there you have it We've, we have solved the mystery of the dad bod. Let's move into something that I'm really curious about to get your take because I've got like 10 pounds of turkey meat still sitting in my fridge from Thanksgiving. And I want to know from your perspective, how long are you allowed to keep Thanksgiving leftovers in your fridge before <sighs> you have to throw them away? Because I'm a big fan of the leftover turkey. Like I took the turkey and I took mayo and mustard an onion yeah. and egg, a uh, hard boiled egg. And I mixed them all together and I made like a delicious wrap yesterday and I loved it. But I'm wondering how long am I allowed to continue to consume that leftover turkey before I die of some type of salmonella? Yeah, I was going to say, if you eat it today, you're probably going to the hospital. So that's a good like Wednesday. The following Wednesday, is, it's been too long. Tuesday was probably too long. Even on Mon Monday was probably the last day. Monday was the last straw for the thanksgiving leftovers um anything past then you're you're putting your own life in your own hands and there might not even be a cure for whatever it is you're going to contract by eating oh man that slime I, that comes along i with enjoyed some on wednesday i figured seven days I figured seven days was safe and then after a full week you really need to just throw it away and give up and start making some nah, seven days is too much man you're, you're pushing it you're pushing it. But I think, you know what, it's what I'm starting to realize is we categorize a lot of things because obviously I'm a black male, you're a white male, and we always say things are black or white. And, you know, we're friends. We can talk how we talk in our conversations. But what I always realize is after the conversation, people are chiming in on Twitter, like the macaroni take. Everyone was like, yo, I eat macaroni every Thursday, and I'm a white guy. And I'm like, you know what, it's probably more regional and geographical than it is just blanketed cultural the way that we – categorize it but before nat on the drums gets on i will say all of her takes are bad but go ahead nat continue <laughs> no i actually just <laughs> tweeted this the other day that there's so many people that think things are just specific to their culture but little do you know a lot of other cultures do the same thing yeah that's a that's a fair take Give us an example. Please give us an example. Because this is, again, I, we talked about example. this last week. Nat gives hot takes on Twitter, but then she doesn't bring them up here. She was tweeting hot takes about me on Twitter while we were us. recording a podcast together and never brought it up, never said it. <laughs> One of my examples for this would be like those tin cans of cookies, right? Mm -hmm. People use those as like a sewing kit. And I always see tweets of, for example, oh, this is such a Mexican thing. Like, you weren't raised Mexican if you didn't have this in your household. All Middle Easterns have that in their household, too. Like, it's not just a Mexican thing or a whatever thing. I think you're right, yeah, because black people do that, too. I think that's a, a poor people thing. I think poor people <laughs> are resourceful, and I was very poor. We were not very poor, but we were resourceful. Like, you know, when you grow up, you like, okay, this can double as something else, right? It's like we used to use the tubs of butter as like containers for leftovers because right. we didn't have a bunch of Tupperware. So we would just keep those around or like we would get the, the, the big cups from McDonald's, the plastic ones. We would keep those. We wouldn't throw those away. We would just stockpile them because we had so many kids that we drank so much Mountain Dew that we just kept them around and we would always reuse them. That's just a, a resourceful thing when you don't have a lot. You're right. It's not that cultural. Yeah. You know, I, I feel uh, real quick, Hawk, you had to stretch the dollar because you had like 13 kids in your family. So there's True. no surprise about True. that. How, how many, what's the official tally of siblings that lived in your house? Oh man, up? it's weird because we're such a blended family. We're such a blended family because, mm -hmm. so my mom and dad divorced when I was real young and my mom remarried. So my younger brother's father is my stepfather who actually raised me. Well, he had a previous marriage. My mom had a previous marriage. She had five kids from her previous. My stepdad had seven kids from his previous marriage. And then they came together for one. And then my biological father had, he went and had more kids. So there's so many. And then 
like we also had like uh, nieces and nephews that ended up moving in with us from out of town. So there was at one point when I was growing up that we had like 13, wow. no bullshit, 13 kids living in the house. Like for me and my brothers all slept in like one bed until I was like seven. Like so my older brother was 10 years older than me until he went to college. It was me, him and another brother slept in the same bed. Then when he left, uh, we got a bunch of bunch more beds than me and my other brother shared a bed. And then eventually I think I got my own bed when I was like 10. And like as people started to go off to college and because I'm like one of the younger kids at that. But as people started to go off to college is when, you know, I didn't have mm -hmm. my own room until I was like 15. So there was a lot of kids in the house. That's awesome. So how many beatdowns did you take growing up as the young, one of the younger of like 13 plus children? Yeah, like a lot. I mean, that's how you like survive. <laughs> so like me and my brothers and sisters are really close. And it's mm -hmm. it's where I kind of get that that little guy mentality or like where I don't back down. Mm -hmm. Like it's not because I didn't have an option to back down is in our family. If I don't care where you are in the pecking order, it was your responsibility to look out for everybody younger than you. So if anybody ever messed with anybody mm -hmm. younger than me, if I didn't fight, my older siblings would deal with me. Right. So it's you're responsible mm -hmm. for the, the people that are underneath you. It like literally still shapes my thought process mm -hmm. as an adult. But in the house, you know, you fight all the time. And I have a lot of brothers, too. So it's we rough house. We get in fights. We get into fist fights. Yeah. I'm the smallest one. So I'm not I'm very used to fighting people bigger than me. My younger brother, who, again, is my stepfather. He's three years younger than me. Um, and my stepfather's a big dude. He's like 6'3", 260 pounds. So my younger brother is a D lineman. Mm -hmm. And he went to Pitt on a scholarship. He's 6'3", 310 pounds. He's been bigger than me since I was like literally four years old, four or five years old. My younger brother, three years younger than me, has been bigger than me. So I'm used to fighting bigger guys. I'm used to throwing around offensive linemen. That's nothing new to me, Joe. So every time wow. you talk crazy and I threaten to take a flight to Wisconsin, it's not – I'm not just selling wolf tickets, man. I will hop on a flight, come there, and wax that ass, man. Okay? I'm going to accept that as fact, and I'm going to go back to something that you guys were talking about before because it's interesting to me. Do you guys feel that our generation has lost resourcefulness? And the reason I ask is because growing up, my grandparents, they grew up during the Depression, and they were mm -hmm. poor, and so they were they were like – you know, everybody that grew up in that generation, they were used to stretching the dollar a long way. And I, I'll never forget my grandma. When I was growing up, she would use the little Ziploc baggies and then she'd put them in the dishwasher to reuse them. And she used them just like the same way you'd use like your plates or your like uh, uh -huh. Tupperware or something like that. And of course, just like you, Hawk, like we had tons of pickle jars that were full of stuff. We had right. like all sorts of like, you just reused all the plastic in the glass you could. And I was at home the other day and I finished a nice jar of pickles because I make a lot of pickle sandwiches and stuff like that that are absolutely delicious, which with my protein, of course. Of course. And I finished it and I asked my wife, I was like, hey, uh, do you want me to save this jar of pickles? And she looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> She's like, what, what do I look like, my grandma? Like, we don't just save empty glass jars. And I'm like, well, don't you think we should? Like, I feel like this is kind of wasteful. We're just like throwing this perfectly good receptacle in, in the trash. Uh, but I feel like maybe our generation has gone away from it. I don't know. Maybe it's because we grew up more wealthy than we did when we were kids because of our NFL uh -huh. careers. But I feel like I see that kind of everywhere. So maybe like uh, if Zerm was here and he wasn't playing hooky on us today, he could uh, tune in or uh, chime yeah. in a little bit. But maybe uh, maybe uh, Nat Ice can help us out. Do you guys still save like pickle jars, you and your friends, to – a reuse. Yeah, I mean, I do because that's how I grew up. Like, that's what my parents did all the time growing up. So it's weird for me to throw away something like that or plastic bags. Like you said, right, I have exactly. like a bag full of plastic bags that I reuse and reuse and reuse. Yeah, it's like that's everything. Yeah, that I mean, I, you're right. And even when I got like a little bit of money from the game of football, shout out to the game of football. I yep. even so football I still had. Those same like resourceful, no money tendencies. Yeah. They still carry That's how you grew up. into your life now. Like she said, like it's like I go to the grocery store, I keep all the grocery bags in a yeah, ball and the, and we use it for everything. We use it for garbage bags. We mm -hmm. use it for yeah. you know, it doesn't matter. And that's for everything. And people look at me like I'm weird and I'm like, Oh, everyone doesn't do this? Everyone you yeah. know, when you're growing up and everyone around you, even like the mm -hmm. other families that you're obviously in the same class with are doing the same things you think people do it and you don't realize it's just you being resourceful because you can't mm -hmm. just be out here 
getting rid of glass pickle jars all willy nilly. Yeah, I mean that would be crazy. That's <laughs> just throwing crazy? money down the drain there. But well, hey, I think we should get into some football. But before we do that, why don't you guys join our conversation about do you save your glass pickle jars <laughs> and do you rewash your ziploc bags? What is the most resourceful thing you our do? Social media. We need to know. Yeah, tell us at Tomahawk Show on social media, Twitter, Instagram. You can talk to us about it on Reddit. We've got a big Reddit following, mm-hmm. but uh, make sure you, you continue this conversation because I'm really interested to hear what the Tama flock has to say about this conversation. But all right, let's get into segment one, talking some football right now. Hawk, I'm interested to hear what your take is because you have played with the one and only Cody Kessler, who is yes. now the starting quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Did the Jaguars make a fatal mistake by giving Bortles that huge contract extension this summer? Yes. Um, they did. They also made a mistake in benching him a couple of weeks ago that we talked about and we predicted this mm-hmm. was going to happen. Thank you. Because you don't bench a guy you're not ready to, to stop playing. Cody Kessler, mm-hmm. yes, I think he's just as good as Blake Bortles, if not better. And I do think it will be a step in the right direction because Cody is pretty good at protecting the football. If you have a good defense, if it gives them a spark and they're saying, hey, we have a guy that can kind of just make sure he doesn't lose it for us, then it, it, they'll probably play better. They're on a crazy, what, seven-game losing streak. Uh, they fire, It's a lot of losing. A lot of losing. They fire their offensive coordinator. We know how they feel. Their new offensive coordinator, the guy who's going to be calling the plays, guess guess who he he also coached, Joe? Why don't you get a, take, take a wild, wild guess? Can you guess where? It was not Natty Ice. If you can guess where he was, was my coach at, where he coached me at, oh. I will put 200 of my own dollars towards Natty Ice's coffee maker. Oh, yes. I, I love – when we start raising money and we, we go fund me for Nats, for Nats Coffee, Coffee Maker. Maker. Um, you know, I'm going to say the Montreal uh, Alouettes. 200 bucks just like oh, that snap. towards the Natty Ice Coffee Maker. He was my yes! offensive coordinator yeah. both years that I played in Montreal. <laughs> now, Nat, all you have to do is show up and join the DraftKings <laughs> Draft League, Kings of which League. you have struggled to do week in and week out. <laughs> and now you have to do and is, you have no chance of being All you have to 50. do is care about this coffee maker now, and you can be – you can be the proud owner of one. But, yeah, no, I, I, I think they made the right decision in benching him, and they definitely screwed up by giving him a contract extension. But that's not even – like, you don't need to be a football analyst guru to have seen that. Blake Bortles isn't that good, but that's the state of quarterbacks we are in the league where mediocre guys are still getting $20 million a year just because that's the going price for a starting quarterback. They should have let him walk in free agency. Think about other quarterbacks they could have brought in there. I still believe Colin Kaepernick is a better option than Blake Bortles. They could have drafted Lamar Jackson. Say what you want about him rushing so much or what he can't do with the football. Blake Bortles can't do either of those things. So we know what Blake has done. At least go to a guy who has still the opportunity of potential. Like We don't know what he could be. Who knows? He can go in there and could have been great for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, I think this is a big mistake. But you know what? It's interesting. When when a team makes a good run but doesn't win the Super Bowl, sometimes it comes and it actually hurts them more than if they would have just lost in the first round. Because if they would have either lost in the first round or not made the playoffs, then they would have been able to move on from Blake Bortles right then and there. Mm-hmm. But because he took them to the brink of the Super Bowl, they kind of got themselves stuck into a little bit of a corner yeah. where they almost had to re-sign him. And in order to re-sign him, like you said, the going rate is so high that they're not going to get a deal done unless they're paying him almost the going rate. And now they're stuck with a quarterback uh, that's making a lot of money. That's definitely not their future. And they got to pay him a lot of money. But they definitely screwed it up by benching him a few weeks ago because that's the surest way to destroy a quarterback's confidence, right. especially one that's a little bit shaky, and to destroy his future with that team. So good luck to Cody Kessler. Uh, good luck to the Jaguars. They're going to need it. But <laughs> I want to make one quick point before we kind of move on to our next topic here. I think this is the problem with today's NFL. And maybe it's not a problem, but when you try to win with defense, a running game, and a quarterback that protects the football, you can't consistently do that from year to year. It's too hard to keep the defense together playing well because you got to pay so many guys on defense to keep your defense good. Mm-hmm. And it's too hard to keep them playing well because of the ups and downs of football careers and the nature of free agency and the nature of your different contracts. And in order to be able to consistently win in the NFL from year to year, you have to have a great quarterback that can score a lot of points and a great offensive coordinator. And they didn't have that in Jacksonville. They had a great season last year, but right now they're one of the worst teams in the NFL. So 
for all those NFL general managers and owners that are listening out there, which most of them are, if you want to be consistently successful in today's NFL, you have to have a great quarterback and a great offensive coordinator. And the Jaguars don't have that, so they have no hope until they can find that. Here's my segue to our next topic, and it also doubles back because it's honestly – there's a lot of related, um, and we've already mentioned Lamar Jackson, who is the next person we'll talk about. But the issue that the Jaguars have and the issue that Coach Condoleezza Rice would have been able to bring to the <laughs> Jacksonville organization is motivation. Coach The Rock Johnson would have been able to motivate that team. That's the hardest part of coaching. So when you go all in in free agency, you go all in and draft, and the Jaguars got it right last year. That is how you use free agency to put together a championship-caliber ta- team and a championship-caliber defense, they did that. They went to the AFC Championship. They lost by a minute. I don't even call it points because they lost by a minute. (laughs) That time just ran out, right? Blake Bortles played the best game he's ever played in his life. But that Jacksonville defense had the whole year of watching Blake Bortles. They had the whole year of listening to the reports. They had the whole year of seeing the the analysts talk about how bad this guy was, and they re-signed him. Just like that, you lost the motivation for your team. If I'm that defense that was scoring at record pace last year and putting up crazy numbers and honestly was sometimes scoring more points than the offense was, I'm not motivated by Blake Bortles coming back as a quarterback. They had a very small window to capitalize on a great defense, and they squandered it away by putting a quarterback in there that didn't motivate them, right? So that's where they messed up on Blake Bortles. And the defense, Blake Bortles, he's actually playing the exact same he played last year. His numbers? are pretty much on pace for last year. It's the defense that isn't playing as well because they're not as motivated because they realize mm-hmm. that we're getting the same Blake Bortles, so we know what the outcome is going to be, which is us not being in the Super Bowl, which contributes to the seven-game losing streak. Well, you heard it here first on the Tomahawk Show. The Jaguars should clean house and hire Condoleezza Rice if they want any hope <laughs> of being successful in the future. All right. Moving on, Lamar Jackson. I know you've been a big fan of his since he was drafted, and even before he was drafted, I was a little bit more skeptical, but he's making me a little bit of a believer the way he's played the last couple weeks. Tony Gonzalez came out and gave him a little bit of a a pump-the-brakes cautionary tale, Mm -hmm. like, hey, man, you're doing a good job, but a quarterback that looks like you and not looks like Cam Newton, who uh, looks like an offensive lineman, should be careful about taking so many hits because you may be able to do it for a few games or even a year, but eventually it's going to catch up to you. And if you want to be one of those franchise quarterbacks that gets the $30 million Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousin deals, you need to be able to stay healthy and throw the football. Andrew Hawkins, what's your take? I don't know why people hate this kid, man. I really don't. I mean, we talk a lot about Baker Mayfield's personality and you know people saying this, saying that, whatever the instance is. Lamar Jackson, does he not seem like he's having fun when he plays football? He does. does. he not seem fun in his interviews? The kid's always smiling. He doesn't talk much. He's not like – he literally seems like a kid to me because he is. He's a young, he's a young guy. So who cares? I don't want to say for his own career, yes, you have to be able to stay healthy. But the dude's just playing football the way he has his entire life. With Pop Warner, high school, college, it got him the Heisman. He made Louisville one of the best teams in the country because he's a crazy athlete. I'm not saying that it's the – He's going to be a guy that can do this for the next 13 years. I don't know that. But what I do know is he's relying on what his ability is to win football games. He's 2-0 again, and he's just having fun out there being who he is. Maybe he is the first guy that we can see to say, yo, this guy was able to do this and sustain it for 10 years. Like Michael Vick was. Michael Vick didn't take a bunch of hits, but he was just better than everybody else. He was so fast that guys could not catch him. And when he came out doing that, they said the same thing to him. You're not going to be able to sustain this over a long period of time. Michael Vick had a really, really good career. Was he Hall of Fame status? Mm, maybe not. But still, he changed the game of football. He, the, the quarterbacks you see in there now that are kind of run and pass options, they're a product of Michael Vick. Not just Michael Vick specifically, because there was Randall Cunningham. There was Donovan McNabb to a point. There were other guys who effectively rushed the football. But Michael Vick transcended it. He was leading his team in rushing. He was putting crazy numbers on the board, and maybe Lamar Jackson is just the next iteration of that. I'm starting to be a believer in Lamar Jackson, and I think uh, the Ravens would be smart if they looked to see what the Houston Texans have been doing with Deshaun Watson because I think they're starting to figure out the best way to use Deshaun Watson, and I think Deshaun's starting to figure out the best way for him to play to help his team win 
not only week to week, but on a long-term basis because you don't see him running quite as much, but when he takes those opportunities is when the defense really gives it to him. And he's going to just run up the middle of the field for like 50 yards, which is what we saw on Monday night, which was really impressive. He still needs to learn how to slide just a little bit more often so he's not taking some of those big hits. But I think he's starting to understand, like, you can be a running quarterback and survive and thrive in this league. You just can't always rely on it. It needs to be pass first, run second. But when you have that dangerous running ability like the Lamar Jacksons, like the Michael Vick did, uh, like even, let's say, Russell Wilson has, it eliminates some of the things that a defense can do to you. Like, you automatically take two-man out of it. You can't Mm -hmm. play it. Because if you got your DBs turning their back and he breaks free, he's going to run for 60 yards. So yep. you, you basically are kind of taking the things that a defense can, how they can play you, and you're removing, let's say, a third of it. Is that fair? Is it a, yep. a third yes. of basically coverages, blitzes, those type of things, pass rush patterns? Because you can't allow the quarterback to get free and get out of the pocket and run down the field. So that's going to make the quarterback and the offensive coordinator's job much easier right off the bat. Now, if he can continue to develop his ability to throw the football, if they continue to develop his ability to play like you see Jared Goff playing in uh, L.A. with the Rams where they're they're relying on a lot of that RPO play action, move the pocket type stuff so that it's not just stand back there in the pocket, throwing the ball like you're Tom Brady. I think that's the the generation that the, these quarterbacks that we're seeing that are young are in, and that's the way the NFL is moving as it is. So a guy like Lamar Jackson might be just hitting it perfect. He's striking while the iron's hot because the whole NFL, I think, offensively is moving to this RPO play action mm-hmm. where if you are a quarterback that can move and they can get out of the pocket, that just adds another dimension. So I, I think with continued development, I'm actually becoming a Lamar Jackson fan where I was skeptical early on. Well, they said that he couldn't start at all before, right? And now it's – that's the thing about haters, man. And, and I'm not saying I'm not guilty of it, too. There's people I hate on. It's my job. I'm an analyst. I have to say who's good <laughs> and who's not. Otherwise, nobody would ask me to talk about it. But Otherwise, it's you just, would be saving more pickle jars than you do right now because <laughs> exactly. you would be po. I would be so po. So, but you have – they just keep moving the finish line. Right. It's like, you know, he'll, he won't be drafted high. He should have got an agent. Well, he went in the first round with his mom as an agent. No one then says, yo, I was wrong. They still drafted him in the first round. Now they say, oh, he's going to play wide receiver. Well, guess what? He's not playing wide receiver. Then they say, oh, well, he won't start as a rookie. Guess what? Injuries or not, he's starting as a rookie. And the conversation is now, do they put Joe Flacco back at the helmet quarterback? Nobody thought we would be having that conversation with Lamar Jackson, and we are. And now it's, well, he can't do that for four years. And when he does it for four, it'll say, well, he can't sustain over a career. Oh, he'll never win a Super Bowl that way. Oh, he'll never. That's what you do. That's what haters do. They just keep moving the finish line, and it's never enough. My question to you, Joe, is this. Do they make Joe Flacco the starting quarterback when he returns from injury, or do they stick with Lamar Jackson? Well, if Lamar keeps winning and playing the way he's been playing, I think you have to go to the trainers and the doctors and tell them, you know that Joe Flacco injury? It looks a little bit worse than we expected, so uh, make sure he's a little bit uh, on the injury report this week. A little longer than maybe he should be so that they don't have to have that conversation, right? So that the doctors look at the x-ray and go, oh, Joe, sorry. You you see this little thing over here on the MRI? It's actually worse than we thought, so it's going to be another week. Just why don't you sit on the bench? one more week and we'll just see what happens with another week of healing because we really want you to be healthy when you get back out there the good thing is we don't have to rush you right the, the team that's the right. defense is playing well we have, our defense is back. doing great so right? let's just not rush it we don't have to let's just make so sure you, it heals right you keep making it a medical excuse until right. lamar either plays so well that he becomes a full-time starter or he plays so badly that you put Joe Flacco back in there because the last thing you want to do is have a healthy Joe Flacco and a healthy lamar Watkins, uh lamar Jackson, mm-hmm. I almost said Lamar Watkins. He was a player I played with in college. Uh, <laughs> Lamar Jackson, healthy. put him in. Put him in. He can throw. Uh, <laughs> a healthy Lamar Jackson and give him the, the keys to the whole organization before you're sure that he is the future because uh, they still got Joe Flacco who's making over $20 million a year as the Super Bowl winning franchise quarterback in Baltimore. But one thing I want to say is uh, haters is a synonymous term with media. Yes. Which us – our knucklehead media analysts. And so we're haters. We're the Tom haters. We're the Tom haters. Yeah. I think that's that's fair. I mean, it is what it is. Here's, here's what Lamar Jackson has given to the Ravens. They're motivated. 
because it's exciting. He's a new player. It's something different than we've seen. That's the thing about quarterbacks. If you're not one of the best quarterbacks, you're going to overstay your welcome. Head coaching is the same way. So we talked about Jacksonville and being motivated. Baltimore isn't motivated. And Joe Flacco just might be the best version of Blake Bortles because he did the same thing. He won a Super Bowl in the year that he was a, a free agent. So they had to give him a big contract and they had to lock in. And I'm all for that. I love when players um, actually work the system and get their max value in the best situation possible, which Joe Flacco has done. But you can't tell me they're not thinking about moving on from Joe Flacco after this season. Not just Joe Flacco. They're talking about moving on from Coach Harbaugh because he's been there for 10-plus years. That's the thing about coaching as well. If you're not Bill Belichick, where you have utter control over everything, top to bottom, that's who comes into the locker room, who doesn't, what coaches are here, who the training are, the training staff is, what the uh, – the media person reports what he doesn't, the PR people, the lunch ladies, what we're eating on a Tuesday, what we're mm-hmm. eating on a Monday morning. If you don't have that control, it's hard to sustain that firepower as a coach and motivating, which is why Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Condoleezza Rice are the two <laughs> hottest coaching candidates in the NFL this season is because just after a while, it gets stale. Like your, your words get stale. Your, your speeches become redundant. You don't have that much in your arsenal to be able to motivate me. I've heard all these stories before. I've heard all the war stories. I've heard all the analogies. It gets old. Pete Carroll took his team to back-to-back Super Bowls, and it got old to him. So he smartly, the organization smartly, understood we have to blow it up. So if you're going to be a coach who coaches past four to five years, I'd say, you have to continue to blow up your roster because the guys that you're talking to will start to see through the BS. They get it. Like, we've heard all this before. It's like I hear the same old stories from my friends, family that I've heard for the last 30 years. I sit there and take it because I love them, but it doesn't give me the same juice as it used to. So that's where we're at with the, with the Baltimore Ravens. Let me ask you this. This is redundant. But you know the motivation that never gets old? What? This is, this is, this is an ad? <laughs> you know the motivation <laughs> that never gets old is fear. And that's why Bill Belichick yes. has been so successful for wow. so long because he doesn't wow. motivate like Pete Carroll where it's a rah-rah speech, it's a, it's a video, it's a highlight film, it's a sure. boxing movie. No, you know how Bill Belichick motivates? He gets 53 pupils in front of him and he shows video of all those guys fucking up in practice in the games and he humiliates you in front of your peers to the point where you're so afraid of that moment, you're going to raise and elevate your preparation and you're going to raise and elevate your performance because you're so afraid of being humiliated in front of your peers and you're motivated and you're afraid of losing your job. You're afraid and motivated that you're going to lose your income and your ability to uh, wow. provide for your family, that you're going to go out and perform as well as you possibly can. And that's the type of motivation that never gets old. And that's why when you're a rookie and you got Pete Carroll giving the rah-rah speeches, it works. But we heard Richard Sherman on the Tomahawk Show this spring talking about those speeches get old. But the thing that never gets old is fear. Fear never gets old. Joe, you just might have put, we might have to write a, a damn coaching book. (laughs) <laughs> off of that one word alone. Jeez, fear doesn't get old. That's the only motivator that doesn't expire. Man, I don't, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm at a loss for words. Yeah, for real, real quick, I think Flacco should get traded to Jacksonville in the offseason. That makes sense I for like me. That. I like that. Make Lamar Jackson your starter. Trade Flacco to Jacksonville in the offseason. Well, look at that. Perfect timing. Phone is ringing. And joining us here on a Tomahawk is the number one tight end in the NFL, possibly in NFL history, my dog, Eric Ebron. Eric, what's up, man? How you doing? What's up, baby? How you doing? I'm good, man. You're killing it, leading the league in touchdown receptions. How does it feel, bro? Uh, it's, it's, it's been fun, especially, like, you know, with the quarterback, the receiver. Like, everything's just been fun, man. Andrew's been great, offensive coordinator, head coach. Everybody's been great, and – um, I'm basically just going out there and just making things happen, just making the plays when my number is called. And, uh, again, it's been fun. It's just been a fun season. It started off rocky, which made it more fun when everybody realized, you know, that winning, you know, we kind of have a young team. So when winning became, you know, a thing, everybody kind of bought in. And it, it made this journey a lot more um, adventurous, and we're having a blast with it right now. So you're killing it on the field. What do you, what do you point to that's been the biggest difference for you from – 
Indianapolis to Detroit? Is it your personal life? Is it on the field? Is it the coaching? Is it the situation? What is? I mean, I, I mean, obviously, my personal life has changed. You know, I got married. I got a kid. I got another one on the way. So my personal oh, life is is an adventure outside of football. Right now, um, I've just I just came in I just came in here with a fresh slate. I came in here with some coaches that was like, hey, we're gonna we want you to make plays and we want you to do your thing, pretty much. And it, it kind of just was like, okay, well, you know. I, I'm here to make plays. I'm here to help the team, and and they allow me to be myself and allow me to, you know, bring the energy, bring that excitement every day, and bring, you know, my goofiness, my everything. And really, what the biggest difference was just me being myself. You know, me not having to hide who I am, being in a shell. You know, mm-hmm. doing things a certain way. When I came here, they allowed me to be myself, play football, make plays, help the team. Eric, I'm a big fan of Frank Reich. I I think that he is one of the more underrated coaches in the NFL, but I think what Andrew Luck is doing under his tutelage this year is showing people in the NFL how great he is. I I played with a guy, and Hawk played with him, Josh McCown. He's a guy that's played at a million places. And I remember when uh, Frank was in Philly, Josh saying, like, this is one of the great coaches in the NFL, and if he ever gets an opportunity – He's going to do great things as a head coach. Can you tell all the listeners out there a little bit about Frank Wright and what his influence has been on you personally, but also that offense and the job that Andrew Luck is doing this year in Indy? Well, what Frank has um, over a lot of coaches is years and experience. And not by like coaching, but I mean like playing. You know, he's he's been in the game. He understands what we go through. He understands the the changes. He understands the the nuances, the different things that are happening. And him and Andrew speak the same language. I think that's the biggest thing is because he's been a quarterback and now he's he's with a quarterback that is an absolute genius. And 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 Frank Wright himself is an absolute genius. So you you I mean you sit in the you sit in the team meeting room or at an offensive meeting room I should say, and you listen to them two talk, and it's like, look, y'all tell me what the hell we got to do after y'all done talking because we don't know what y'all was just talking about. So that that's how that's how in tune they are. And Frank's been good, man. He's he's such a player's coach. He understands the game. He knows what we go through. He, we can come to him about anything. Hey, Frank, man, I see this. You know, if you call this, you know, we, we can make it happen. And Frank believes in us. And, that, I mean, that's hard to find. You know, a coach that, you know, wants to jump out of his old ways or, you know, you know, believes in what he believes in rather than the players. But Frank believes in us and allows us to go out there and play the game and tell him what we see. And we make those changes and we do things. And he's a player's coach, man. It, it's just great. Is there anything in his offensive scheme that's just different than anything you've seen before? No. Um, he, <laughs> it, the, only thing, the only thing he does differently is he's – I mean, I, I'm, I'm obviously not going to give away, you know, what he does differently. Yeah. But oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Figure, figure it out. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's pretty much when you get out there, figure it out. That's, that's, how, that's how I feel like it would be if I played defense against us. It's like, holy – Okay, what the heck about to come next? Like that's that's our offense. Like it's so much fun to be in and so much fun to play in. And then when you're going through it and you're like, oh my god, this play is gonna like it's 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 like that playing for him. Like that's how that's how it is. Now he he clearly has like a unique coaching style for somebody like me and Hawk who haven't played for him. How would you describe that coaching style to somebody like us? Um. Okay. So I mean, obviously, you guys are both great players and veterans in this game. Um, Frank yeah. Reich is like this. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, this is what I want. This is how I want it. You do you, but do it within the line. But do it within these lines. These. This, I want you to work hard. I want you to be hard nosed. I want you to play your butts off. You know what I'm saying? But I want mm. you to have fun, enjoy it, and never change the person that you are. Don't change you for me. I want you to change. I want you to change. Help us change while still being you. If if that makes sense, you get it. That's, that's that that's that's all he's asking for. He doesn't ask for anything else. Just wow. help. Just do your job, and have fun while you're doing it. Be yourself. Do you think that's the reason why we're seeing such great play out of Andrew Luck right now? I, exactly. He allows he allows Andrew to, you know, set up everything. Andrew, pretty much everything is ran through Andrew, right? I mean, that's your quarterback, yeah. but Andrew is able to make adjustments, Andrew's able to do the things that he feel like is going to work, and if it doesn't, then he'll come back to the sideline and say, hey, Frank, you know, I saw this. Frank will be like, you know, I get it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But Frank's like, hey, you know, you're You're the one that's playing. I'm going to call a play. You're the one that's playing. Do your thing. 
everyone always says that about quarterbacks. They're like coaches on the field. But and from my experience, and no offense, it's not anything bad against the, coach, the quarterbacks that I played with. It never really felt like they were a coach. They never really felt like they had the authority to say, yo, I want to run this or that. And when you watch Peyton Manning, you watch Tom Brady, you watch Drew Brees, you get that feel. These are guys that are not only running the plays that are called, but they have a big input in what's called. And they have the authority to say, nope, this is what we're going to do. Does Andrew Luck truly have that authority? And is he really like a coach on the field? I think Andrew Luck, I think they gave Andrew Luck, I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, this is our first year in the offense. We're all still, you know, figuring out the little nuances and things like that. But he has the keys. If there's something that he wants to get to that he thinks is a better a better play than the one that we ha- he has called or, you know, something that he sees that, you know, tips him off that we can do something different, he has full authority. And it's great because – not only does he have full authority, but Andrew's going to make sure you guys are seeing what he's seeing before we go out there and we do it. So right. everybody's on the same page. Everybody knows what he's thinking, and everybody executes it, and we, you win football games. So, I mean, that's that's how it is. And Andrew Andrew runs some of the meetings. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. it's it, he's, the, he's, your, he's out there. He's doing it. That's, that's how it works, man, it's, and it's been great. So people in Detroit aren't having as, as much fun as they thought they would be having this year, number one. And you have taken your career to the I'm next I'm having a blast. <laughs> having a blast. <laughs> I know we worked out a couple of times. and I, do, do you think seeing me work out in person is the reason why you've been able to elevate your game <laughs> to the next level? Hey, oh, I ain't even going to lie to you. You know, you know I was teaching you some stuff, old head. You know I was teaching you some of the young boy moves. Nah. Um, man, what made what what, <laughs> what made what made me really elevate? Um, I mean, I I can't even really say there was a one thing that made me ever you know question myself to like, man, I got to step it up. The only thing that I've ever thought to myself was, this is not this is not who I am. You know what I'm saying? Like right. my my resume, everything that I have done, you know, speaks for itself. I was not the person that. I was, you know, my mom saw it, my wife saw it, you know, people in my family saw it. Like I just wasn't the same person. And something about Frank, when I met Frank and I got here and he explained it to me, um, I did not know I would have this much fun or this much success, but I knew that this was the right decision. And I mean, I'm just happy that Frank's, you know, utilizing me and putting me in situations to, you know, succeed. And it's been going great. I seen some reports that Le'Veon Bell is trying to get in on the, uh, the action down in Indianapolis. <laughs> Are you helping man, recruit Le'Veon I, Bell? I'll be I'll be talking to I'll be talking to my dog Ed Nine again, man. Okay. I'll be talking to him. I, all I know okay. is we got a lot of cap space, man, and that's all I know. <laughs> a lot of cap space down in North Carolina too, man. What about um uh coach coach mac, mac brown back in there what, what, are, you, what are your thoughts mac, on that? no yeah we got mac beasy back you know i'm a i know I'm, <laughs> I'm a butch recruit i'm a butch recruit but i played under fedora fedora was my guy you know fedora really really uh his offensive scheme really helped me succeed in uh in college so that's my guy but you know before you get to carolina you hear about mac brown and now that he's back you know what i'm saying hey. you know you know, it ain't no basketball school no more. You know, what I'm <laughs> <laughs> you guys always a little brother to the basketball player. Did you always? We always, we we always been a little brother to the basketball program. <laughs> always. I mean, anytime they got they got MJ. I mean, they must think we can say it's Julius Peppers, but I mean, he's still playing. I'm surprised they didn't make y'all wear Russell athletic uniforms. <laughs> oh, that that would hurt. <laughs> what do you think the expectations are going to be now in Carolina with Mac Brown? I mean, should should the fans there be able to expect national championships like he was delivering down in Texas? Yeah. Um. Well, I, I you know I expect I expect a process, and I expect the process to be a great process because you know our school was was hit hard, you know, with the with the allegations and things of that nature. So when I was there, man, we were playing with mainly you know walk ons, and not to say that walk ons are terrible because you know. But we had no scholarships, you know what I'm saying? So we had to use, you know, we had walk-ons. We didn't have, we didn't have scholarships. Like I think me and another tight end was under a scholarship, and everybody else was walk-on. Like maybe like two people from each room. So I think it's a process, man. And you got to understand that he has to clean the name, and not only does he have to clean the name, he has to start rebuilding something. So I think it's a process, and. I think he'll do a great job there because they have everything they need. They have the Jordan brand behind them. It's been, it's a great school. It's great academically. Like he has everything it needs to make it a great football program. We just don't have 
those players, you know, those dogs, those those go getters that you see in every college level. Like, ooh, that boy at night. You know, we don't have we don't have that wow factor yet. But I think Mac Brown will bring that back. Well, I'll tell you this, I don't think you guys want to smoke with Toledo still. Uh, <laughs> that's that's cool. I think I think Toledo will give us a run right now, but <laughs> Ain't we playing y'all at like the ramen noodle bowl or something? Oh, man. That's a big bowl for Toledo. <laughs> hey, we're going to get to some Reddit questions from the Colts Reddit page, man. They want to know who's the biggest prankster in the Colts locker room? The biggest prankster? Oh, man. Uh, probably T.Y. He probably the, goof, the goofiest one. Mm. He, de- he definitely the goofiest. He seemed quiet. That's 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 interesting. Uh, to me. You you people have no idea. <laughs> oh Here, my lord! Here's another one from the Colts Reddit page. They want to know about Andrew Luck. Surprisingly, now he seems like he's one of the nicest guys in the league. Apparently, he even compliments defensive ends after really good sacks. Uh, and I've given him the award of the best Amish QB in NFL history. But I'm just wondering if. Andrew Luck has ever been mean if he's ever sworn or ever looked frowningly upon anybody on the team. Oh yeah. I mean, no, he's, he's, he doesn't look down upon anybody. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't like, uh, you know, like I hate you goofily. Like that's, you know, that's not him, but cussing and being like, he's a goofball. He's a, he's a nerdy goofball. So, you know, like that joke that no one laughs at, but the person that said the joke, that's Andrew. (laughs) But he's – and it's so funny because he really think it's funny. Like, it's hilarious <laughs> to him. And so it makes it funny to you, you know, like you're laughing, like, at him but with him. So, But he's, he's definitely a goofball, man. He, he says some funny jokes sometimes. Um, he cusses, you know, when he, wants, when, he wants, when he wants, you know, us to pick it up. Oh, you'll know. Oh, okay. I like that, man. He seems like he's uh, in a world of his own. Another question. Your fans are asking – what should they chant whenever you score a touchdown? You scored so many damn touchdowns this year. They're looking for something to chant, and they don't know what to chant. Just, just call me Ebron. We can start the Ebron chant here like they used to do Reggie. Like, Reggie. I got a oh. long E, so if you want to do Ebron, e, we can do that. That's Ebron, cool. I like that. <laughs> you should, did you ever think about changing the pronunciation of your name to Ebron? To, no, to, no. to LeBron James. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, too 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 soon, too soon. I do ten okay, touchdowns next soon. year. I might, I might, I might alter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I think that does it, man. Look, we appreciate you joining us here on the Tomahawk, my guy Eric Ebron. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna make sure that LTE kicks off too. The luck to Ebron. Oh that's, yeah, that, that 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 that's all me. I need full credit for that. I came up with that. Copyright <laughs> it, so I stole it from you. <laughs> Use it. You got to give me fifteen percent. E, we appreciate you, man. You're always welcome on the Tomahawk. Thanks for coming on, brother. Thank you, man. Thank you guys for having me. All right, Hawk, new topic. Reuben Foster just got claimed by the Washington Redskins just a few days after being arrested for his, geez, second, third, fourth, can't keep track of it, domestic violence accusation. Uh, In your opinion, Was it a smart move by the Washington Redskins to take a flyer on a guy that's right now on the commissioner's exempt list? No, it's not a smart move. It was dumb. It was a dumb move. It pissed me off a little bit. And I'm not even usually this guy, but Ruben Foster's been arrested for domestic violence three times in the last year. You don't even let it go through its due process. You're just so worried about football. And, you know, you go on this guy that you care about, how we represent the community as football players, making sure the shield is protected. And literally, and I don't even think he was the, they were the only team that put in a waiver claim for him. I get he's a good football player, but at some point, you have to draw the line and hold people to a standard, man. Like, it's the fact that, again, he is still in the National Football League that quickly. This is a guy who got arrested at a team hotel. And it wasn't that the the incident happened somewhere else. Not that it matters because domestic violence is disgusting on any level. You shouldn't you shouldn't do it. You're an asshole anyway. If you're hitting putting your hands on a female anyway, any way, shape, or form, and you shouldn't have the privilege of playing professional football. But that notwithstanding, this is just about decision making. Not only did this take place, it took place at the team hotel. So this wasn't a situation where it happened. The police were called, and then they they went through an investigation. A few days later, they showed up at a team hotel to arrest him. It happened 
at the team hotel. That tells you about your decision-making. That tells you about your thought process. That's dumb on all boards. And the Redskins, the Washington team, um, they have a black eye right now. They should feel disgusted, and they do feel disgusted because they came out and they understand the backlash that they're going to get because they came out with a statement trying to clarify, oh, we're waiting till the process is due, and we just felt like we should have. No, you shouldn't be thinking so one-sided, and you should be smart and understand your, your surroundings. This is, this is dumb on all levels. You took all the words out of my mouth, and I'm not going to argue one bit because I completely agree. And this is one of the few times in the Tomahawk show we're going to be a little bit more serious because this is a serious issue. Domestic violence should never be tolerated. I think in today's society, we need to make sure that we're unified as a society against hitting women. And anytime you make excuses for somebody that does do it and you try to hide behind the legal process, you hide behind this outrageous and ridiculous idea that, Oh, some of the management people talked with the Alabama players to see if he was a good guy. And they all said, oh, yeah, he's a great guy. So, yeah. yeah, we'll go ahead and sign him. That's completely outrageous. If a general manager came to you and asked, oh, is Hawk a good guy? Of course, if he's your buddy from college, you're going to be like, yeah, he's a good guy. So that's just going to be your litmus test on if you sign off on a guy that's repeatedly made poor decisions and outrageously hitting women, which is horrible. And then he continues to show that he's a bad decision maker, like you said, by continuing to be involved with the same people that have got him in the situation in the first place. Now, let's be clear. He put himself in that situation, but he continues to make bad decisions over and over again. I, don't, I can't see any justification for the Redskins making this decision whatsoever. They always say that tolerance, or excuse me, they always say that production breeds tolerance, but in this case, I don't care how much production you have, you can't be tolerant of this type of activities. You stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. That was such a bullshit statement i talked to the his friends and teammates and coaches yeah. at alabama I, i'll tell you you didn't talk to you didn't talk to the victim you didn't talk Thank to you. the girl you didn't talk to the female you didn't talk to her friends you didn't talk to her family if you came out with that kind of statement which would still be dumb that you decided to claim them off waivers but that would have more credence than the fact that you're talking to the people that are close in his circles just like you said of course they're going to give him a vote of confidence that was your investigation process that was your vetting that's so dumb so stupid and i get Every situation is unique, but this is the third arrest in the last calendar year. And even when we, he was drafted early on, he still had similar background, similar history. Like, at some point, when someone shows you who they are, you need to believe them. And stop hiding behind this bullshit that, oh, we're trying to give people second. No, you're trying to win football games. You can't decide on your own volition when um, you're taking a moral high ground and when you're not when you're trying to make sure you're representing the shield and when you're not. Because if, on the player's perspective, you're always held to a certain standard that you always want to throw back in their face that we need to protect the shield. We need to, how about you protect the shield? How about that? And until you do that, you don't have any right to be talking about anybody else. This was, this was dumb on all sides, and I can't, I can't wait for it to blow up in their face in a big way because mm. it should. You know when you should give a player a second chance, Hawk? When they show contrition. He mm -hmm. has not shown contrition. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing over and over again. And we know Kyle Shanahan. We know Kyle Shanahan. If Kyle Shanahan is cutting him, he gave him every opportunity to try to right this wrong, to try to get on the straight and narrow, to try to set the path right, warn him of what was to come, and he didn't take heed to it. And here we are. He decided to get into this at the team hotel the night before a game. Like, mm -hmm. does that not tell you that someone is not thinking properly, is not making smart decisions, is not worried about – uh, being the best football player and taking advantage of that and, and impacting the community? No. And the Redskins, again, they are aiding and abetting the same thing. They are not. They also should get the, the same backlash that any player gets because they are, I don't know, I'm at, I'm at a loss for it. It pissed me off so much yesterday. When I seen the news, I, had to, I sent a couple tweets out, and then I logged off because I didn't want to read about <laughs> it. It really made me mad, man. Like, I, I can't even tell you because – People talk about the NFL being a privilege, and I'm like half and half on that. It is a privilege to play in the NFL, but you have to be really, really freaking good to play in the NFL. It's not a lottery ticket. You don't just get to put your name in a raffle and decide to get drafted. No, you are some of the best athletes in the world, right? But by the standard of the best athletes in the world, there are other guys who are NFL players that will never get to touch NFL soil. I was one of those guys, man. Like, there was a thin line between me never playing in the NFL. So amongst the best athletes in the world, yes, it is a privilege. It's a privilege that Reuben Foster is abusing. It's a privilege 
that since the Washington Redskins decided to back him up on, they are also abusing. So I don't want to hear anything more about, like, the Washington organization, there will never be a press release I will give a shit about from now until perpetuity because they're so full of it, it's not even funny. They're, the Redskins right now are co-signing on the abuse and the actions of Reuben Foster by picking him up, especially this quickly, and that's unacceptable. All right, next topic. Final topic of the day. Ben Roethlisberger says he has earned the right to criticize his teammates. He criticized Antonio Brown, James Washington, and his offensive coordinator on his weekly appearance on Pittsburgh Radio after they lost to the Broncos. Hawk, has Ben Roethlisberger earned the right to criticize his teammates? No, he hasn't. Here's why Ben Roethlisberger has not earned the right. Is he a great player? He's an incredible player. Is he a great quarterback? He's one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. Is he a Hall of Famer? First ballot. Two-time Super Bowl champ. He is a consistently good football player. Here's why he hasn't earned the right to criticize his teammates. Anyone who has to come out and say, I've earned the right to criticize my teammates, has not earned the right to criticize his teammates. (laughs) Because how good you are doesn't dictate whether you can criticize your teammates. It matters what kind of leader you are. And that's what he is not Hall of Fame at. He is not a Hall of Fame leader. He teases retirement. He throws people under the bus. He lies. He has off-the-field issues. He's turned his back on his organization and any player whenever it's convenient for Ben Roethlisberger. And when you do that, people don't look to you as a leader. They don't gravitate to you. Yes, you're a really good football player, but that's where it ends. It's the cool guy saying, I'm super cool. Cool people don't say they're cool. Everyone knows they're cool. People who have the right to, to, to criticize their players publicly – don't have to say it. Tom Brady doesn't have to come out and make that statement. Peyton Manning didn't have to come out and make that statement. They have a level, a level of and a standard that they stick to and they are consistent with that everybody else knows and everybody else makes that declaration. Not you, Ben Roethlisberger. He wasn't very tactful in saying it. I agree on that side of things. He has not shown great leadership throughout his career and great leaders don't have to tell people they're great leaders. Exactly. Just like great players don't have to tell people that they're a great player. We know. We've yes. got eyeballs. We can see. We've got ears. We can hear. We hear the things that you consistently do. We know you're not a great leader. Here's where you're wrong. When you are the fucking quarterback, it is your job to criticize and to coach the players around you. So He could have said a little bit more tactfully that, look, as a quarterback, I'm the coach of this team. I'm the coach of this offense specifically. I need to make sure everybody's doing their job correctly and they're lining up where they're supposed to be. And I'm the one that has to hold these guys accountable because outside of the coaches, the people that are on the field, he is the coach on the field. He is the one that knows what everyone has to do. He's the one that can see where everybody is, and he's the one that has to hold them to that standard. So being the quarterback, that is part of your roles and part of your responsibilities in doing that. I think, like he said, he has earned the right, but not because of anything he's done or said. He's earned the right because he is the quarterback, and that role is expected to be the guy that criticizes and holds everybody accountable. Publicly? Are we talking about behind closed doors or are we talking about in the media? I'm talking about any way he sees fit to get his men motivated to do what they are supposed to do on the field. I disagree. I think, yes, behind closed doors, call him out. Get him right. Get the team right. Do what you got to do. But I don't think he's earned the right. The thing about Ben Roethlisberger is even if he has earned the right, let's say you're right, Joe, I'm completely wrong and everything I'm talking about is based on the fact that I was a Cincinnati Bengal and a Cleveland <laughs> Brown and I don't really like the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback that much, right? Let's say that's where this is all rooted. Ben Roethlisberger has believed this since day one. There's never been a time in Ben Roethlisberger's life that he hasn't felt like he had the right to criticize somebody, whether that be the organization, whether that be the players, whether that be the city, whether that be the situation, whether that be anybody who ever calls him out on the BS that Ben Roethlisberger brings all the damn time. That's the problem with me and Ben Roethlisberger. I get it. Again, he's a great quarterback. He's a great leader. All of his teams are good. He's a Hall of Famer. But... At some point, like, can we please hold him to the standard we hold everybody else to? Like, it, my buddy is is trying to be a high school coach, right? And the high school coach isn't the high school team isn't that good. And he asked for my advice. Now I'm not a coach, you know what I'm saying? I, I've I've have done a little college football coaching, but I'm not by any way, shape, or form in the position to to give you head coaching advice. And he says, "What's the first thing I should do with this team as far as offensive scheme and what are your thoughts?" I'm like, "Look, man, it's high school football." If you get all the players to work as hard as they can, whistle to whistle, you'll increase your wins double. Whatever their win is, whatever the talent level is, whatever their intellectual football knowledge is, if you just get them to work hard, whistle to whistle, 
go all out full plays. They'll double whatever wins they had last year. So start there. He's like, well, how do I get them to do that? And how do I criticize them in a way? And, you know, because it's, it's, it's in an area where, where, where guys aren't really into football. And if you're too hard on them, they'll quit. And I'm like, it's look, if people know that you give a shit about them, if these kids know you care about them, they won't mind you criticizing them because they'll understand that the end goal is I'm trying to put you in a better position in life. Ben Roethlisberger, I don't feel like his team knows that Ben cares about him because, to be honest, it always seems like Ben just cares about himself. Again, great football player, great quarterback. But if your team doesn't feel like, yo, he's doing this to benefit me, he's doing this to benefit our football team, if they don't feel that way, then you can't criticize because there's going to be resentment, and then it's going to actually hurt your team even more because the last thing I want is a guy criticizing me that I feel like is doing it self-servingly. Like you're doing that to make yourself look like a leader. You're saying you're a leader because you want people to think that. You're saying that you have the right because you want people to know you have the right so you can criticize them. It's like one thing I never do, Joe. I don't explain my jokes. They're all funny. You either get them or you don't. The worst thing to do is to explain a joke. That's how you know. That's the first rule of it not being funny. That's my problem with Ben Roethlisberger. Hey, man, you said it great. We'll give you the last word on that. Uh, Let's close the show. Well, hey, please tweet us by using the hashtag Tomahawk. If you have questions or comments, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Tomahawk Show. Make sure you subscribe and rate us five stars because without that, without you, the listener, the Tomahawkian, we do not exist. Keep us on the airways. So until next week, Andrew Hawkins, what are your final thoughts? Final thoughts. A hot dog is a sandwich. I'm out. All right, Nat, take us out. Joe, hawk yourself. <laughs>